Well, Elon still did 20, um, or 20 odd years behind the scenes before he this is what became a, lot of people, a character. Yeah, I mean, you're right. He, he, he no doubt had, um, you know, a lot of those qualities. You know, becoming a billionaire doesn't make you who you are. It kind of reveals who you are. Yeah. Hello and welcome to Trillions. I'm your host, Elise Grace, and today I'm chatting with Jason Titman, founder of Integrate Group, a private investment and management company. Jason started out as an accountant and worked at KPMG before venturing into entrepreneurship. His philosophy is that talent and opportunity is everywhere, and Jason loves partnering with others, particularly in the SaaS and technology industries. On this episode, he shares some very interesting stories and perspectives on business. Enjoy. All right, cool. Board advisor, tech investor, founder of Integrate Group and Family Man. Welcome, Jason Titman, to the Trillions podcast. Yeah, thanks, Liz. I'm really looking forward to it, actually. It'd be great to have a chat. Yeah. So, Jace, can you tell us a little bit about Integrate Group? That's your, your main gig. Um, tell us about what you do as part of Integrate. Yeah, look, Integrate is my kind of personal family office investment company. So, um, I, I guess in terms of the tech companies that I invest in, Integrate is kind of that that company and that vehicle that I use as such. Um, and I suppose it takes it off me a little bit personally as well, you know, if, if there's other a lot of the work that I've done over the years and investments involves other partners and things like that. So it's kind of not just about me always personally. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's integrate group. But uh, as I say, really focusing down on the, um, particularly the e-commerce, SaaS tech space, um, you know, looking at stuff here in Australia, looking at San Francisco, um, Israel, starting to look at stuff across Europe as well. Cool. So, because I think if you're going to get into the tech space and investing in that space it really is global yeah. I, I mean there are certainly businesses that do very well local um, but generally tech um, you know you've got to have that global outlook and perspective and yeah. view yeah so before we lo- we got into this podcast you were saying you um you used to fly to san francisco four or five times a year and you've got a, a global network um is that so that you can kind of always have your finger on the pulse and always understand what's going on yeah it's it is. It's evolved over time, so it didn't just happen like that. Mm. Um, it's a, it's evolved as, as as my investment career has started to evolve. Um, but once again, I think you know it is so global. Talent is global. Opportunities are global. Um, and if you're just existing in the bubble, I mean, Australia's a beautiful place. We've seen that through COVID, how beautiful it is as a bubble. Mm. But that's not healthy when you're trying to grow a tech company particularly, um, because, you, you know, you can be putting all of this effort into something here. Uh, Europe is possibly building out the same thing, the US. So even though it might mean that you want to give up on your dream, uh, you may want to pivot it mm. um, and things like that. So you, you'll never know everything that's going on. But for me, I think because of the industry that I play in, it's really important to at least have my finger on the pulse. Um, that global network also is a good feeder network so it's a good feeder of ideas it's a good feeder of talent and a good feeder of investment and it's a two-way flow i mean australia is becoming a lot more recognized now as Mm. being a good um you know incubator of ideas if it can work here as was in traditional business a lot of times it can work very well um in international markets too so yeah it's it's working well and in fact i've found particularly over the last 12 months a lot of people in um you know europe um, across the UAE and the US are really been reaching out, um, you know, to people in Australia. So it's, it's yeah. been accentuated by that. Yeah, cool. Mm. And in terms of talent, do you think Australia has um, some really cool minds and people thinking outside the box? Or who do you think is the global leader in, um, 
in in technology and and developing new and up and coming uh, Australia definitely has but but I think the Australian culture and psyche and business community and government probably aren't doing enough to foster it okay. so absolutely Australia is up there um, that wasn't the case 20 years ago uh, but but certainly the last you know 10 to five years we are producing incredible talent we've seen that because of the success stories here we've seen it because of the Australians that have moved abroad and, and what they're creating um, not only just in tech you know in the creative industries in the film and television etc mm. um, we're great brains um, sometimes that's still just not recognized you know by Australians generally and we tend to lose that talent or they get frustrated here uh, and they move abroad so I think we've got a, a way to go as a society I think we've got a way to go in terms of governments thinking and encouraging we're still too focused on the traditional businesses yeah. agriculture mining those sorts of things great industries we shouldn't give up on those that we have some competitive advantages in but we're still too beholden to them uh, and as a result we continue to get a brain drain mm. um, because this company's not realizing a third or a fourth opportunity that being tech we've had education probably is the third which comes under a little bit of question but i think with <laughs> tech we can deliver that globally still quite successfully um, and we've had tourism but I think, you know, there's that opportunity and, and, and we're struggling how to best uh, capitalise on that. Yeah, yeah, cool. I, I definitely agree with you. I think um, there's amazing talent here and I've, I personally have some friends over in San Francisco who've, who've moved over there because they see more opportunity and it's, um, it's a slight shame to see them go, but you've got to do what you've got to do to make a company work. Yeah, for, for me it's about sort of, you know, hubs and you, and you, and you get that kind of competitive or core competency. I mean, you know, one example of traditional that I could use is the Margaret River wine region that was started 40-odd years ago. You know, so started to come to life for years ago um, you get a hub and you get specialists all around there um, mm. that's what San Francisco is like that's what Stockholm is like um, that's what Tel Aviv is like and what they've got yeah. um, we can do it uh, Sydney's doing a good job Brisbane's certainly trying and getting there as well um, but you have to make a conscious effort and it has to be at all levels I mean if, if there's one thing that I can say and has really captulated me with my time in Tel Aviv is how well the Israelis do it. Everything from their military service, their 5100 unit, through to, to the government, to their local kind of um, municipalities, right down everywhere, they are kind of integrated at each level of the value chain yeah. um, around tech. And that just helps, whereas we're not. You know, we, we've got local government having different policies to state government, having different to, to yeah. federal... Um, which then, you know, they're not always listening to the VC, the investor community, et cetera, and founders. So we've got disconnect at the moment still. Yeah. Um, and that kind of thing does attract people to places like San Francisco, which yeah. has totally been a long sense. term. You know. Yeah. So you love technology and, and you're an incredible entrepreneur. So where did this all start, Jason? So what is your earliest memory of entrepreneurship and how did you get to where you are now? Look, it's a really interesting question and probably, uh, you know, an interesting story, particularly for sort of the younger listeners as they go through. I mean, for me, I've actually always loved science. Um, I was very close to studying medicine, but 30 years ago when I was sort of looking at what did I want to do, I said I wanted to get into business. I wanted to buy and sell businesses. And people said to me, well, why would you go and study medicine um, if you want to do that? Um, mm. 
I tried at uni to do a combined science and accounting degree and uh, couldn't do that back then. They didn't have that flexibility that we're starting to see or have seen for some time. So ended up thinking the natural way to do was to go and study accounting, um, which was great. And, and I got into um, computer and corporate audit with an international firm, KPMG, and that kind of gave me an amazing experience across a whole lot of different industries. From, from, from there, I, get, I guess I just had that thirst. Uh, I read a lot, uh, talked to a lot of people, really listen to people that were successful in business. Um, so my, my kind of first foray really, um, you know, properly seriously getting getting into business was, was when I moved into the hospitality industry. Mm. Um, and into the pubs. A, a few steps there through through the motor industry and, and pubs. There was a lot of networking, so a lot of individuals, a number of successful individuals that were quite a bit older than me, um, gave me good backing. I'd sort of delivered some great results within their companies in the motor industry and that. So when you say backing, do you, do you mean you went into their businesses, helped them improve their bottom line, and then they helped mentor you and get you know yeah, introduce you to the to other look, people? Look, 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 look. The the journey was joined a uh, guy who had a couple of hotels. He was an ex motor dealer. Um, he was struggling to make them profitable. Um, I had actually been working for a a family group of hotels that I'd help them sort of turn their business around, get them investment ready. Um, he tapped me on the shoulders and, and literally it was, a, it was a handshake deal that I came across mate, and he said if I could make uh, these hotels profitable, which they weren't, he'd give me a t- cut of the profits. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the next hotel he bought, uh, he would let me buy into it with him. Um, and we ended up formed, forming a syndicate of a couple of other partners and um, we uh, bought, it, bought into the Regatta Hotel in Brisbane yeah. and uh, that was a fast old ride. Um, I thought I was buying in, costing me this much. Um, being around these entrepreneurial guys, they decided to buy the land next door and the land around it. Um, so uh, that was, that was quite, quite a journey and uh, a lot of debt at the time. So I was uh, getting uh, loans from my parents, from my in-laws, from my business partners because otherwise my equity got watered down. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly a... A, a period of or a baptism of fire. Um, I didn't get into business in a small, small, small way. I ended up getting into it quite a big way, which paid off at yeah. the end of the day. Um, yeah, so that was kind of my foray. I, I spent about um, 12, 14 years in uh, the hospitality industry where we did five hotels, basically most of them buying the freehold, building them up. And it was a time when there was a lot of opportunity. Um, I guess I rode that wave fairly well uh, in terms of West Farmers and Woolworths coming mm. to, the, to the market. Um, and uh, property prices going up in a lot of rundown hotels. I, I, I literally got to the point um, in one of my last hotels there where thinking, what's the future going to look like? Um, yeah. My business partners were not wanting to move beyond that. And in fact, they, a couple of the guys were slowing down. Um, I was sort of seeing tech coming up. I'd had a background as much as I wasn't a developer. I, I'd always had an interest. Every hotel I bought, every business I went into, I was putting in almost the latest and greatest. Um, tech in terms of point of sale systems, yeah. stock control, time and attendance, etc. I uh, saw the emergence of email, all those things. Um, customer relationship uh, systems. So I was integral in putting those in each business that I had. And I guess that sparked my interest and thought, hey, this tech scene is starting to evolve. Um, and, and that's when I made the pivot in terms of my career, in terms of my thinking and, and investment focus. Yeah, cool. Mm. So so pivoting from hospitality into tech, 
can you tell us about one of your first technology projects or, or even where you are now with technology? Yeah. There's probably two questions there. Look, I, I think it's probably important to actually say how I did it because, you know, it, it's one of these things yeah. sometimes when you've had some good success along the way, um, it's easy to uh, say that it's easy or it looks easy. Uh, and how do you get into it? So the reality of it is the first venture was, was a business called Venue Easy. Um, and what that was was a functions and booking portal for the hospitality industry. So as I was moving out, uh, one of the uh, managers of, of one of my hotels, him and his brother sort of, you know, we were, were just talking about uh, ideas um, in the pub, as you do, yeah. and uh, tech, and I wanted to get into tech, etc. And we came up with this idea. So we, we, we hired a developer in PHP and we spent 18 months building this company called Venue Easy, which was a functions and booking portal. Yeah. Um, that there, we, we got to a point and we were starting to look at whether or not our model could be emulated by, by other companies uh, that had big databases. Because our real challenge yeah. was, was bringing the customer and the venue at the same time. It was a subscription model. Right. Um, and we, we were doing quite well, but it was it was always a challenge, and we stumbled across this idea of going to, becoming narrow. And it's the one thing I'd say to people: you know, we were too broad, and our success really started when we narrowly focused. We focused on weddings. Uh, we went to wedding expos, and we paid four thousand dollars to go to to a wedding expo. Um, we, we we were putting through two million dollars of business in a weekend. Wow. That that you know. Um, brides and grooms to be were listing their function and event. Hundred people at a hundred dollars, ten thousand dollars. It doesn't take much. What we would then do is on the Monday for the rest of that week, whether it be Sydney, Melbourne, Perth, Brisbane, Adelaide, we would go to the venues and say, had they heard of Venue Easy? And we'd spent some money promoting it, so hopefully they'd kind of seen it, mm -hmm. but they'd go, oh, yeah, what's this? No, we don't want to pay $99 a month. And we'd go, well, you could access $2 million worth of business. And that sparked their interest. Mm. So we'd get onto our laptops and our iPads, show them all of these people that had logged on, listed an event, a wedding that they wanted quoted. Yeah, cool. And um, so that's how it got started. Uh, and then we got approached by some people from Sydney um, to to buy the uh, the business. And it was kind of the, the start of that process that I had exited out of that. At the same time, I bought into another business, Big Shop, which is a precursor of Daily Deals, Deals Direct, those sort of yeah, ones where nice. the guys were importing a lot um, of product containers out of China. Yep. And I had everything from uh, fishing rods, uh, tarpaulins, concrete vibrators. There was all sorts of things that yeah, we had. Wow. Um, and uh, it was, you know, that that's, was 10 years ago. It was kind of in, in those days. Um, and... Uh, that one got sold off and then um, the technology that was running it was called Neato, um, which was built by two guys and they were the two guys that had started Big Shop um, and there was two of them and, and then they had a front-end uh, web developer and a, ba a back-end developer as well. So there was four of them working out of their parents' warehouse and uh, they kind of liked 
you know, my vision and my view. I liked them and um, I, I gave them some office space in an office um, that I owned, um, invested uh, my time one day a week with them, kind of as a board advisor with them, and um, also invested in business, gave them a, a guaranteed line of uh, credit so we could get the show on the road. We morphed the model into SaaS. Now everyone says, why would you start a tech company and not build it in SaaS? Yeah. But, you know, eight, nine years ago, 10 years ago, um, that wasn't the thinking and it wasn't really the business model. People were frightened about it. Um, so we went from selling the software at $5,000 uh, for a license. I think the first license we opened up was about $89. So it was pretty kind of scary and nerve-wracking to see what happened. Yeah. But we just hit it at the right time. And literally there was a little bit of funding that I had to put in for a, for a couple of months, but literally the curve just took off in terms of sign-ups. Nice. Um, obviously, you know, the, the product was good. Um, so what was it? So Nito? That was Nito, mm -hmm. so, um, which, I, which I've just finished uh, 10 years later, exiting on the 31st of December to, oh. to a North American company. Congrats. Um, so, yeah, so, so it's been, been a good deal and I've stepped off the board from that company uh, and off as a shareholder now. Yeah. So, um, you know, these journeys, some do happen overnight. Um, but, you know, there's another company very recently which sold to, to a Canadian company, Global X. Um, they started in 1994. So, wow. you know, they're not all overnight successes, yeah. but there's a, there's a lot of work um, that, that goes into them. So that kind of gives you a little perspective of my journey of, of tech. It wasn't just that I woke up in the night with this brilliant idea. Yeah. Um, it's been a, a learning curve along the way. Lots of mistakes, lots of mistakes. Um, but I, they're I, necessary to, to build the, the calluses kind of thing of experience and um and repetition absolutely at least. I, th I think that's one thing that i would definitely say if, if you're not if you're not making mistakes you're not learning yeah we hate making them um we have to be careful it you feels don't. you feel it inside like in your stomach when when things are challenging but when you push through that you almost get a high that's equal to the feeling of discomfort if not more it's a great feeling definitely yeah definitely mm. um it's and it's about moving moving quickly um, you know, there's still a level of uh, consideration, but if you're not moving quickly, then you're just not progressing and giving yourself that opportunity. Yeah. So, yeah, that's kind of ultimately my journey into tech. Yeah, very cool. And so, you know, you said that back then when you were doing Nido, for example, uh, um, SaaS wasn't, you know, a readily accepted form of business, and now it is. How do you have that foresight? with technology to be able to see what's going on. You said before you have the global network. What's what's some ways that anybody listening who, who's interested in tech can um, develop that foresight? I mean, you also mentioned reading. Is there anything else you'd suggest? For me, there's two things. You have to be, probably three things. You have to be an absorber of information. You, you, you have to, and you have to get that information widely. I think one thing that people often make a mistake on if, you, if you're trying to build a successful business, um, is, is that they only look at one source of information. So, so I think, you know, that reading and listening widely is important, talking to, to people, watching a bit of TV, watching a bit of YouTube, bit internet of research, everything. Right. You'll probably end up drilling down and find your favourite source, but, but I think that broadness um, is, is important. Um, I think it's also being open-minded and accepting to pivot. And, and that is tough because we often get a conviction of what we feel and we think. And it's one thing I find with founders that I'm often challenging them when I sit on their boards. A lot of founders, to be a founder, 
you have to have a special quality, you have to have a strong, healthy ego and a drive. But I find a lot of them are too fixated that they know the best way all the time. And I struggle to work with founders like that yeah. that aren't flexible uh, and have that idea. I mean, if we look at the epitome of, of people, somebody like Elon Musk, um, you know, for sure he could do things differently, better and whatever. But, you know, Elon is a prolific um, you know, absorber of information. Mm. He's a prolific asking questions and challenging and being prepared to pivot. If you really look at him closely, he's been prepared to pivot many, many times. Yeah. And I think a lot of founders get into the uh, flow, they feel comfortable in their comfort zone and they fail to challenge themselves enough. So what got them to here won't get them to the next stage. And as an investor, that's what I really look for yeah. in a founder. Not a founder that jumps all over the place because they're just as bad, uh, but a founder that gets so fixated that it's the only way is risky. Not to say it won't work, but so, so I, I, I like to then think about l looking at pivoting and other ideas. So that's probably my approach. Yeah, right. Mm. Okay. So that's, that's one of the ways that people can, um, can learn about technology and what's happening in the future. So if they're absorbing information from the now, how can they see to the future of what's happening? The other point, which I didn't make just when I was speaking there, is giving yourself some time and some headspace. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think a lot of people work now so be careful saying work too hard they, they become too tunnel visioned and too absorbed being busy being busy sure. um it's something you know I've, I've faced myself um but i think if you can allow yourself some time to step back you get it generally your subconscious works to give you the answers that you need and that's often in personal things in life yeah. um and absolutely with business and seeing opportunities so it's that reading widely being prepared to pivot and overlaying that with making sure that you're not being busy, being busy in life uh, and your work. Um, taking the time, but making that time productive oftentimes I would say. So, you know, you can, you can fill it with just surfing social media. Um, you know, I would argue that, that that's potentially not giving you time to tune out. So whatever mm, you do... Because you're consuming. Even yeah, you, yeah, you are consuming and it's planting subconscious thoughts. Sometimes you need to just almost not. For me... Um, you know, I, I love relatively extreme um, sports and exercise. So, you know, getting out and spending some time skiing, getting out and spending some time on the water, diving, you know, those sorts of activities yeah. um, often generally give me time. Believe it or not, I've, I've, I've got a couple of rural properties and I love getting out on my mowers. Um, <clears throat> one of those things to escape, uh, it is escapism. And I don't listen to music or anything. I just take in nature and yeah. I absorb it. It's so beautiful. if you're doing bushwalking, whatever. Um, so I, I think giving yourself some headspace. People don't give themselves, particularly in the, you know, 2021 where we are now. People We're inundated don't give themselves stuff. enough headspace. They think they have to keep consuming. They have to sit in the car and be on podcasts. They have to sit in the car and be on the phone. They have to get home and watch TV or be surfing. I, I think you do too much of that, and and that stymies your ability to think creatively that then affects your ability to see into the future. Um, yeah, so amazing So they would advice. be my insights. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. And if we look at Bill Gates as well, he gives himself, I think it is a week a year, where he locks himself in a cabin and with some books and just reads for the week and, and yeah. takes time out. Um, um, he's another extreme example, but let's face it, we can learn a lot from individuals like Bill Gates. Um, 
yeah, I saw a documentary on him as well quite recently where he got a stack of books yeah. um, that he reads through. I, I personally love to go away as well and read, but I don't get through as many books as Bill Gates gets through. Yeah. Uh, but for me it is, whether it be you know our traditional books or whether it be a Kindle e-reader these days, um, certainly I find that because it, it takes my mind on a journey. Mm. I used to love conferences. I mean, haven't been able to do too much of that over uh, COVID, although the virtual conferences are starting to become really good. Yeah. Um, I, I find a conference, you know, a lot of people are a bit sort of poo-hooing conferences. I don't think you want to go to a conference every month, but two or three a year gives me time to sit in the audience, listen to speakers, and I find that is also a good way I process information and start to think uh, outside the square. Yeah, yeah, very cool. Oh, awesome. Thanks for sharing your tips. I, I definitely um, have taken something away from that. So let's talk about um, investment. So obviously you're, you're investing in businesses. What kind of uh, due diligence do you do before investing? And also what strategies do you use to keep some of your money and invest, whether it's Bitcoin, property, um, index, REITs, whatever? And, um, and then obviously, how do you know how much to spend? Look, it really is a personal decision. And, and, and what I mean, I'll come back to that. What I mean by that is you can make money in any industry um, if that's where your passion is and that's where your focus is. So I, I think there used to be a mantra of investing being diversified and I agree with that to a point. Mm. So maybe you want some equities, maybe you want some property in your own business um, you know might not be property it might end up being some crypto or something whatever it is I think a level of diversity but I, I, I think you'd be careful going too diverse yeah. uh, because you cannot be hot on every industry I did very well in hotel and property um, industry. I didn't. I didn't make money on every project by any means, uh, but the ones that I did, I did very well. Uh, I enjoyed it. I had a great network. I had to make the decision as I was starting to move into tech. The two worlds were diametrically opposed. Yeah. A lot I learnt in hotel and property and accounting and professional services I could apply for sure, but I couldn't maintain the same networks. I couldn't be onto the deals for when to buy, when to sell. I had to get out of that industry and absorb myself in tech. <clears throat> so. Um, you know, there's very, very few of us who can be too broad. You've, you've got to have a level of focus um, in, in terms, and, and I guess I'll come back to how do I assess a business, but in terms of other investments, um, for me personally, I like equities. Some property, commercial, residential, I'm not huge into it, but I've got some. So, yeah. you, you know, I put some wealth in there. Um, certainly, traditional equities I like I don't like CDOs and all of those kinds of things and, and options and futures just I haven't spent time in that space people make money and I haven't spent time so it's wise to invest in what you understand um, yeah but I think yes but I think you know property I, I invested in property for 30 years mm. when I was 21 with my first job I bought my first house because I thought I want to understand property um, when um, I wanted to invest in equities, in fact, I invested in equities probably in my late teens, 15, 16, um, I started buying shares. Literally, I didn't even understand them. Yeah. But I figured once I had my money there, I was going to start to understand them. Yeah, now, sure. I didn't invest everything I had, um, but I started to invest it. Crypto is actually something I now see as a market that's starting to get the early stages of maturity mm -hmm. um, that I actually want to invest in. Um, and I'm not saying I'm going to rush out and buy Bitcoin, uh, you know, but, but certainly crypto is much broader than just um, currencies and much broader than Bitcoin. It's a market that I'm going to dabble in. 
because uh, I actually see a future in the next 20 to 30 years. Mm. I want to put some money into it and I want to explore it. I think that's the best way. Yeah. You can sit there and read and all talk to people, which is great, but until you've got your own money and you see what's happening. Um, so that's, for me, that's as far as the alternative investments go. Yeah. Um, and I think you can also pursue a strategy of direct investment or through investment managers. And there's reasons you would do one as opposed to the other, maybe depending on how much time you've got. Um, there's no doubt that, that, that some investment managers are very good at managing your money uh, and I don't think it hurts to put some money with them. But, you know, I like a lot of mainly direct, but yeah. still, still look at investment managers. So that's the advice I would give there. In terms of investing in tech companies... Um, that's a whole different ball game, mm-hmm. um, and I think it's got huge opportunities. But it's a much longer consideration. <clears throat> a few people, a few entrepreneurs I spoke with, um, put a lot of weight before they invest on the founder. So, are you similar to that? Uh, absolutely, yeah. you know, absolutely. For for me, it's it's a couple of things. Um, I certainly like to see the opportunity that the business presents as itself. And for me, it's a balance between tech and the commercial side of things. And you'll usually find a strength in one area or the other. So the challenge is, can I balance this up? What have I got to do to balance it up? Um, But it's also looking at what the solution is. What's the problem they're solving for? And what's the broader market? How many competitors are there? And what's the opportunity? Mm -hmm. Just because you've got a huge total addressable market doesn't mean you're going to make a lot of money in tech if it's full with competitors. Um, Or if that total addressable market, it's usually never what it seems. I get presented so many pitch decks that tell me that a total addressable market is this, the TAM is this. But realistically, when you look down for whatever reason, whether it be the quality of their tech or the solution they're solving or the commerciality or competitors, the team is usually this. So, right. so I think a lot of founders overinflate the team. So I really look at that. Um, the founders, absolutely. I mean, they are critical. Do they have the tenacity to work? And I'm sorry, but the 16 to 18 hours a day. I've been there, done that. Um, Got to be careful they give themselves enough time that they don't burn out because I've seen that happen as well. But it's not the glory. You know, a tech founder often thinks it's the glory. Once again, the poster child, the Elon Musks, the Bill Gateses, they're few and far between. Well, Elon still did 20 20 odd years behind the scenes before he became a a character. Yeah, I mean, you're right. He he no doubt had, um, you know, a lot of those qualities. It's not... You know, becoming a billionaire doesn't make you who you are. It kind of reveals who you are. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's the thing with Elon. Um, he had 20 years behind the scenes, a lot of ups and downs. Obviously, luck, right place, right time, but he's worked very hard with it all. So people don't realise that. They think he's the overnight success <laughs> with Tesla, SpaceX, etc. Um, so the founder is critically important for me. And I touched on earlier earlier in our podcast this idea of the founder being flexible enough um, and coachable. For me, it's about being a coachable founder. Uh, you know, I've talked to many founders and I respect them all for what they want to do because it's their company, it's their idea. But I find so many of them aren't coachable. Right. Um, and I don't mean that they should do everything that their advisors say by any stretch. But, but I find um, many are just too beholden to their views and they don't 
want to bring in and, and get the other advisors or they're worried about losing control. At the start of my business career, it was said to me, Jason, what would you prefer to have a small piece of, of, of something really big or a big piece of something really small? The analogy given back then was, would I prefer to go and run a news agency, own 100% of it, or would, would I prefer to own um, 1% of Apple? Um, you know, I think I think we know from a monetary perspective which one we'd prefer yeah. to do. Um, so that analogy for me is: look, I have never owned any of my tech companies 100%. In fact, there's been very few of my businesses that I've ever owned 100%. Now, a partnership is arguably the hardest ship to steer, yeah. but uh, you can often leverage off others. Uh, and I think a lot of founders are reluctant to take on investment. They're reluctant to have boards of advisors because they're worried about being held accountable mm. uh, and told what to do. They don't admit it, but yeah. they are. And that's okay. I, yeah. I'm not here to tell them that they should change, but as far as the most successful ones that I've seen and as far as the ones I'm prepared to invest in are those ones that are coachable. Yeah. Headstrong but coachable. Yeah. Um, so that's probably what I what I look for, and I like to know the the full story. Um, it's one thing to say what you're doing as a company, mm-hmm. and I found many companies say they're doing things, but they're actually not doing things. And I don't like that that veneer or that facade because if I know all of the issues that I'm coming into. We can fix the problem. But if you're hiding the problem from me as your advisor or me as your investor, not a good uh, situation. And it's much easier to get into the business partnership than get out of it. Very easy when when we're all friends and it's great, we're high-fiving, we're doing coffees, we're drinking the Kool-Aid, we're having drinks, great. But when the going gets tough and you've got to put more money in or we're not delivering, we're getting under pressure, that's when it really counts that you need to know that the people that are invested in this can get through. It's that grit, that intestinal fortitude. And the last thing for me is the law of escalating commitment, Um, a huge law to be important about when investing because, you know, if I'm going to invest 100,000 or 500,000 or a million into a company, I need to make sure I've got that again for to back it up because Mm -hmm. oftentimes those companies are going to run out of cash. And if I don't have that, then I've put whatever I've put into it at risk. So it's one thing I look at is making sure I've got access to other cash or other investors that I know are going to back and come in pretty quickly Um, because so many tech companies are just running out of cash very quickly and oftentimes you just need that bit more to get, to, to, the next to, level. to get it to the next level. Yeah, right. Um, and I think people are too short-sighted. They think, oh, well, I'll put 50 grand in or I'll put 100 in. Um, often we underestimate what we can do, you know, in terms of achievement and often we underestimate what things cost as well. So We all do. I've done it myself so many yeah. times. I've done it. I've been there, done that. I've been a key decision maker in companies um, in many industries and certainly in tech that just haven't been able to bring on those key channel partnerships when we said we'd bring them on yeah. six months later. We haven't had this critical piece of tech. Um, look, there's a great case study, you know, in, in, in Nito. We, 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 we thought it was important to be the first to market to have the Amazon integration, which we did. We were the first company, in fact, essentially in the world to have the Australian Amazon integration. So we were ready. We pushed ourselves. We probably spent close to $2 million in dev work getting it ready. We took other parts of the platform that we didn't invest in to have it. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Amazon was pretty flat in Australia. Yeah. Three 
four years later, Amazon is still flat yeah. in Australia. Yes, it's getting there. It will be here to stay. They'll continue to improve it and it's growing. My point is we timed it wrong. Yeah. Um, Nido survived, continued to go ahead. Arguably, though, we could have done a better job in many of our customers' minds if we'd invested in other parts of the platform, replatforming them, modernising those tech stacks and some other key channel integrations. Um, that's a good lesson. So that's, a, that's a great learning that you... Great learning. We yeah. thought we'd be there first and we'd have it nailed. But what happened is you know, Amazon, we all know how successful Amazon yeah. is. And you um, saw that clearly. But it just didn't take off here in Australia. Yeah. And we'd done all that work and we were sitting flat um, where, where people were more happy selling and they trusted eBay. Um, you know, my deal, Kogan, these are the ones that we should have integrated with Well, we had the eBay integration. But, but catch of the day... Kogan, my deal, um, yeah. should have all been integrated with before we did Amazon and we would have been you know, much more successful in terms of revenue and customer counts. So yeah. we don't get it right all the time. Yeah. It is an important lesson. Yep. Yeah. Well, we, we've got to wrap this up, Jace, because you've got another meeting. So Always got other meetings, but I, I, you know, I'm enjoying it. So let's, let's sort of spend a couple of minutes with a few more questions. You right. know, I, are you, I, I are you watching do, the time? I can, no, I'm watching the time. Okay, so yeah, cool, we'll, cool. we'll spend it a bit more on if I can impart any other knowledge or at least ideas for people to think about. I've got a couple of questions love actually that are burning. Love your so love thanks for inviting me. Oh, know. yeah, this is great, Jace. I feel like we're just getting into it. I was really hoping you could stay, so thank you. Um, I'm interested in what you would do, Jason. This is a bit of a pivot question. We're not, um, yeah, pivot question. If you were to start from zero and build a million dollar value business in 90 days, what would you do and why? I'd go on a journey. Yeah. Uh, I would. Would uh, you have, uh, sorry to interrupt. Would you have a big, you know, would you spend time making a big fancy plan and then try to execute on that? Or would you just try to find your way? Too slow. I agree. Um, If I started 20 years ago, I would have done the plan. I would have documented it. The plan never goes to plan. Yeah, yeah, I I, I would have done all the models I learned at university and I would have built out my competitors, Porter's Five Forces and all those things. Uh, No more. But what I I would do is give myself a bit of headspace, a comfortable level of pressure but not too much pressure because I think you you pile too much pressure on yourself. Um, and you do often stymie that creative thinking. True. So what I mean is, yeah, I, I would I would think and I would look widely at it. Um, in in terms of it, um, I think there are still so many ideas out there. And in fact, I may not actually try um, because I don't consider myself a creative genius. Um, so for me, I, I know myself. I say you've got to know yourself. I like to ride alongside and help leverage others to success. So, yes, I've come up with some original ideas myself, um, but many times I've found somebody's idea that's doing a great job and I've helped them look at it differently. I've helped them leverage the commerciality side of things. We talk through the tech and go from there. So for me, I would probably try to look for something that somebody's doing well, but they haven't yet nailed it. Mm-hmm. How can I add value to them to go from here to here? That's because I know myself as an individual. Yeah. Uh, that's and and that's because what I enjoy and where I think I could get there to, to your million dollar valuation in in such a, a quick time from zero. Um, I would not try and pick crypto. You could do that. Yeah. Um, but that's not me. That's not a business. Um, so that's investing. Well, yeah. 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 Um, so from, from, from that business perspective, I think there's lots of, of call it sweet little fish that are, that are out there. Um, I, I agree with you. And I you've think got some momentum, mm. you know, yeah. 
I agree with you. I think there's a lot of people who, who have fantastic ideas, but they don't know how to scale or they don't know how to manage people or they don't have the capital. And so I think it's fantastic that you're able to partner with these people and um, teamwork makes the dream work. So why not? It, it does. And, and you touched on, Elise, a really, really important point that, that you've got to have each of those. It, you've got to have the tech in the right balance and know when to double down on the tech mm. and then know when the commerciality. I find too many people are trying to go out there and build a pricing model, attract customers and grow and scale, and they haven't got the tech right. Yeah. That probably comes about a lot of times because they are more commercially focused rather than tech focused. Um, so that's, that's a trap that those sort of people fall into. Mm. The alternative track or the dichotomy or juxtaposed position is that the tech people want to keep building the tech uh, and they don't know when to stop investing in the tech or slow down, because you never stop, slow down investing in the tech and start experimenting and getting some you know, proof of concept customers on, yeah. building that product market fit, building a pricing model, getting that right and then hitting the scale button. Yeah. The tech people want to keep investing in the tech. So it's a real balance. And then the other thing is running out of capital. Now, I, I, I think many tech in people and people that, that I, I talk to, they want to get investment immediately. That's not always the best thing neither. I mean, why do you want to get investment? If you can become, um, you know, you, you need to run it on the smell of an oily rag, really tight, be very yeah. frugal. And if you can become profitable early on, that's a good thing to prove it. Yeah. But to remain profitable and to remain without capital is then probably holding yourself back. If you've got something that you've proved, that's when you want to take investment um, you've got a better chance to get a better deal for yourself with, um, you know, you've got the, the equity. You've got the proof of concept. Mm. To get it before that, you're generally having to give a lot away. Um, it's hard to really f- get that valuation sorted, um, and you could not attract the right investors. I mean, you can. There's a lot of money being thrown into tech, but I say to I say to founders, yeah. you want the smart money. You want not only the dollars, but you want the ability to understand your industry unlock channel partnerships and unlock investors and the future Uh, just because somebody's going to pile in and give you the money you want is not necessarily the best thing i agree i think um somebody somebody says it uh the quote where they say you have to be willing to um, almost marry your business partner because you spend so much time with them and talking with them it's it's a it's a special type of relationship so it's important that you're able to work together well and and able to take their advice like you said before um, make sure that they're the right partner for the business that they're going into if you've got a um, you know like your background going into I don't know <laughs> some kind of random business that you've never done before then it yeah look look look, look many people um, and myself included possibly could make anything work Mm-hmm. but it's the amount of time and learning and lost opportunity. So I, I'm careful about spreading myself too thinly. I'm careful about going into industries that I don't know. Not that there's not opportunity in there, yeah. but it's the learning curve. It takes energy to, um, to understand the industry, and then when you do that, mm. you kind of lose you do. what's going on in another industry. Even Absol- I've noticed that with going yeah. from online to to even just yesterday I was learning about e-com and I was like, oh my gosh, this is a it's whole another world. It's a whole world. new world. Mm. You know, people talk about digital, people talk about tech. 
it's you've got to become narrow within it. It's not a matter of moving into the tech space. It's a matter of moving into either the e-com or the social media or whichever aspect of yeah. it that you want. And then with e within e-com, we break it down further and further. But you're right on that point. You know, I think in my all my years in business and all my years of being married, I've spent more time with business partners than I have with my wife. Yeah. Um, so and and it usually involves an emotional state and a financial state. So it's really important to get that right because. You, you know, we want to kind of enjoy the life that we're here with as well. So, um, yeah. yeah, those, you know, your business partners, if you're going into business, are really important. Yeah, 100%. Well, great advice. Um, another question. Uh, I like to flip the interview for one question. So um, I've been asking you some questions. You've been sharing some incredible wisdom. So thank you so far. Flip the interview and ask me a question about anything, about life, business, um, entrepreneurship, my journey so far. Anything? Yeah, look, look from what I, from what I've seen, this really interesting journey that you've had. Um, I guess in terms of flipping the yeah uh, the the interview, I, I'd like to hear you know what business ideas you've got, or have you set yourself any personal challenges in business lately um, <laughs> that you see that you, you you would like to relate? I mean, what sort of a journey or what's a challenge that you've set yourself? Um, well, uh, yeah, as I mentioned before, we, we started this interview, I've, I've set myself the challenge of building a million dollar valued business in 90 days. So for anybody listening, that doesn't mean I have to make a million dollars cash or revenue in 90 days. It's a valuation. So I'm not sure how I'm doing it yet. I've, I've investigated a few different options of e-commerce. Um, I've got a tech idea that I'd love to, um, that I'd love to execute on and, and develop an, an MVP and get, get my first customers on board. I've got a few out-of-the-box ideas for that and another idea I have for that is uh, monetizing my podcast so doing as many interviews as I can in the next 70 days and allowing myself 10 days um, to to promote perhaps something that I'm developing behind the scenes like a landing page or a compilation of the top pieces of advice that I've had from all of these guests and I can compile that as I go and then um, and sell as I go pre-sell and then in the last days really pump it up and get as many sales as possible but I'm not sure how that would be valued at a million. So there's a few ideas. Another one is to help my partner get her business to a million dollar valuation with recurring income. I do have a, a clear vision for how I would do that. So like yourself, partnering with someone who's already got a great skill set and a great, uh, she has a vision to help a million people with their health around the world in her lifetime. So there's plenty of time for that. But in the, in the interim, I can see how she can impact a lot of people and uh, create a recurring source of income. So that's how you get to that million-dollar valuation, in my understanding. Is that's having, exciting. Yeah. Yeah, that's exciting. It is a few things you've got there, so I think you definitely need to, within Choosing 90 one. days, choose one, double down on the one. Uh, but I think any one of those uh, could, could definitely get you there. And, and, you know, the exciting thing with life and business now is how quick an idea can come to life yeah um, there are so many mediums and we are so connected uh and, and i think that's the exciting thing for me in business yeah uh, it's what keeps driving me um it's it's the reason why i don't want to go and spend my life on the farm my life on the boat uh you know i keep coming back to it and wanting to invest in companies because i love the people yeah. uh, i love their energy and being able to help them um, and see them grow, and I think your, your idea is at least there for the next, you know, the ninety-day challenge. Fantastic, but Thank it is you. focus, focus, focus. If I if I leave everybody with one message, um, to be successful, you've th there's the ability to look outside the square and have the time, as I touched on before. Mm. But it's focus. 
too many of us, and I'll put my hand up, I've done it in the past, try to spread ourselves too thinly and we just don't give the best to anything. Yeah. Um, and you are limiting your ability to become truly successful, if that's what success is to you, um, in your business and build that valuation unless you stay focused. Yeah. Well, my, 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 uh, my goal is to choose one in the next 24 hours, announce it and uh, go all in on that. But there's the ideas. Fantastic and and I, thought, I thought 90 days was a great challenge, Jace, because I know a million valuations possible. It's a push and a stretch. But, uh, you know, if it goes longer than that, that's okay. I'll give it my best. But I think a lot of the time people do take too long with planning and all that crap. So Absolutely. I gave myself this challenge to show to people you can, you can just start something, get it going and build some really good, solid, exciting momentum in 90 days, documenting that to show everybody. Um, and I'm, I'm actually ultimately doing it for me. So um, I'm excited to follow that journey. Yeah, yeah thank very you. Excited. Well, Jace, um, it's time for you to go. Uh, you've got another meeting. I really appreciate your time today and for sharing your wisdom and your story. I feel like we've really just scraped the surface. Uh, I really appreciate your time today as well. And I wish you all the best with your business ventures. It's very exciting what you're up to. And I'll talk to you soon. You're welcome. Thanks for your time. I've enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, maybe another time we can have another chat. Yeah, thanks and for coming all on. all the best with your uh, 90 day million dollar valuation. Thank you, Jason. Okay, bye. Thanks for listening to Trillions with me as your host, Elise Grace. Please do me a favor and drop me a review on iTunes or if you're watching on YouTube, like and subscribe. Would love to hear your feedback. Reading your reviews and comments keeps me inspired to keep creating the best interviews possible. If you want to stay up to date with all my movements, please check me out on social media at Elise Grace.